Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Judge Graham, author of Scale with Speed. And if you want to learn how to scale your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm talking with Judge Graham. Judge is a hard-hitting, action-oriented entrepreneur with a successful track record of growing companies and selling them for hundreds of millions of dollars. His companies have won numerous high-profile business accolades, including Inc. 5000 and multiple Best Places to Work awards. He's also been featured in media outlets like Adweek, Ad Age, Forbes, Bloomberg, CNBC, Money, and many, many more. He currently hosts the top-rated Scale and Exit podcast and is an acclaimed author and speaker. Uh, Judge and I have a really just a frank conversation today. It was a little bit out of the ordinary just because I didn't spend a ton of time on story. We just kind of started clicking right as I hit the record button and got into some really good content. So just a forewarning, uh, Judge does cuss a good amount. So if you are somebody who listens to the show, I know that there are some people who listen to the show because it's clean um, and the content's always really good, but we do have a few guests that come on. I don't like telling people what they can and can't do. If that's in their personality, they can kind of do that. But I just did, I did want to give you all a fair warning. So if you're somebody that doesn't enjoy hearing those things, you may want to skip this one. But I promise that if you listen, you will get something out of it because Judge and I talk about a lot of amazing things here in this episode. Uh, we talk about how to scale your business to nine figures 
years and beyond. We talk about how to build a sellable company. Judge has done this multiple times to nine figures and then selling. So how to build a sellable company and then why you should be building a personal brand and why Judge is focusing on this more than anything else at the moment in his career. So there are so many key takeaways in this uh, episode, and I can't wait for you to hear them all. But first, really quickly, if you wonder how I build and maintain some of the relationships with the amazing guests that I have here on the show, I've finally put together an all-encompassing training uh, that it's covers literally everything I know about networking. You can find out more over at travischapel.com slash explode. travischapel.com slash explode. Head on over there and uh, sign up for the next live training that I'm doing on how to explode your network in the next 12 months. So I hope to catch you there, but if not, enjoy this episode with Judge Graham. Judge, what's up, bro? Welcome to the show. What is up, my man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, now that we finally have been able to hit the record button, for those of you listening, we just spent like a good 10, 15 minutes without assistance trying to work through some technical difficulties here, which is just part of the game, man. So you just got to roll with the punches sometimes, you know? Yeah, when we made it, I just did a, a a keynote probably two weeks ago, and the projector didn't work. Then it started to work. I get halfway through the presentation, and then the freaking bulb dies. So you know, you just gotta roll with it. I mean, I think the the moral there is know your shit, be good at it, and 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 adapt because shit's gonna happen. So true, man. I actually was having this conversation with somebody recently. Uh, oh, it was a coaching client of mine, actually. We are talking about how to prepare for an interview, how to interview guests, because I do some podcast coaching and different things like that. And so um, I was talking about how to prepare, properly prepare for an interview. And what I tell people is that the number one way to overcome inexperience is through over-preparation. So exactly what you were just talking about is something that's huge for me. And this is not how I intended to start the conversation, but may as well get into this because I think it's a good tangent to go off on really quick, is that uh, it amazes me how many people are dependent on technology for like information to be able to work for them. And what I mean by that is like, like what you were saying, if you are doing a speech and you are dependent on the slideshow working in order for your speech to be good, then that's a huge sign that you have not prepared enough. You should be able to go up there with like three points on a Sharpie written out on your hand and talk. If you are not able to do that, then you need to be preparing way more than you're already preparing. I used to memorize, like memorize my whole thing, but it makes a huge difference when you can walk, stand up there, especially when you're, you got the nerves coming in and you're all shaky and, and you know what I mean? You're afraid that you're going to mess something up. And then it's like, then you add on top of that, that you're worried the slideshow presentation isn't going to work or the clicker is going to, you know, stop working. And you're over there like pointing, doing this thing, you know what I mean? Trying to figure out where to point the clicker. It's just like, man, if you just prepare, None of that matters. I was speaking at a, a conference in um, in Florida a couple months ago, and there were technical difficulties right before my speech. But I started into the talk while the guy was fixing it, and he ended up fixing it, and it was fine. Um, and I got to use my my slideshow and stuff. But it was a really great feeling knowing that hey, even if he doesn't fix this, doesn't matter. Like still going to go the same way that I planned it on going. <laughs> But anyway, enough about that. Let's go ahead and jump into your story, Judge, because I know that there's so much stuff here to, to learn from. Let's take it all the way back. I like to build some context before we get into some, kind of some of the meat and stuff. So tell me about what life was like for 12-year-old Judge. What like experiences, school, relationships, or you know, sports? Like what, what was life looking like for you? Yeah, man, absolutely. So I was, uh, I would say, you know, average middle class, 
family, hardworking parents. You know, a lot of the, you know, I know we'll probably get into mentorship. I mean, my parents taught me what it took to work, right? They always had side hustles and were working at least two to three jobs. So it was in an environment that I really started to understand the importance and the power of working hard, right? Also appreciating what things would cost, right? I tell a story all the time, like when I was little, I always wanted, uh, you know, I grew up in the Jordan era. So, you know, when I was eight to 13, you know, all the new hot Jordans was what everybody wanted. And my parents, we couldn't just get those, right? I'm sure if they wanted to, they could have, but it wasn't how we wanted to spend money as a family. So I appreciated that, man, if I want a hundred dollar pair of sneakers, what does that mean? You know, how hard do I need to work and what's the value of earning a dollar and how does that translate if I have to make 99 more to get a pair of sneakers like that? So that was kind of the, the, the family environment, which was great. And, you know, at 12, I was, you know, like a punk ass kid, like most probably 12 year olds. And, uh, was into uh, probably the wrong crowd and doing the wrong things. And I, uh, I'm a big guy and fast and athletic and found my way into football, which was a, a godsend to me. I talk a lot about football and sports have taught me so much in, in my life, right? I, I talk about failure. You, you can't win until you freaking know what it like, feels like to fail, right? To lose. And so sports were key to me in my younger years in helping shape the man I am today. Yeah. Right. What do you think like top two or three lessons besides the one you just mentioned from playing sports, especially team sports as well? I think there's a difference between playing individual sports versus team sports. Yeah. Top lessons uh, that I learned. I think uh, I didn't learn the lesson until I was, was older right now that I'm a parent, but I mean, learning what it means to like raise and discipline your kids huge being in the moment. I remember getting into a lot of trouble and then my parents really putting the smack down on me and not understanding that at, the, at, at that time. But by doing that and pulling me out of, you know, certain crowds I was starting to gravitate towards really shaped who I became versus who I could have become. And that was a key lesson that I've learned as a parent and as, as an entrepreneur, right, is disciplining. And we're going to talk about networking, right? Surrounding yourself with the right people makes a fucking huge difference. Whether that is an adolescent or is an adult, who you surround yourself is who you become. And that would be probably one of the most important lessons um, I learned as a or experienced younger and learned and, and realized as an adult. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, 
a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. How did it play into your, your confidence level in terms of your ability to attack a new industry or business or skill set? How did it impact your, your ability to do that? I mean, I've always been a, a super confident person. And I think that that confidence comes to a lot of it comes through sports. But I learned at a young age that failing is a part of the process. And when you can psychologically say, hey, you know what? If I go out there, what's the worst that's going to happen? But I mean, a lot of people will say that, but really mentally being okay with that outcome gives you massive confidence. You know, I used to sell door-to-door, like have you ever heard of Cutco Knives? Oh yeah, I sold door-to-door for about six years. So I'm familiar with basically every company that does door-to-door sales. So door-to-door, whether it was Cutco Knives, whether it was home security. Yes, that was my gig, bro. Door-to-door alarms for like two years and that freaking killed that game. Like that That was a, yeah, you a, can lot, make a lot of lessons. Of you can make a lot of money. People don't realize. Door, like when I was doing door to door, sorry to interrupt you, by the way. Uh, no. When I was doing door to door a bunch, everybody would ask me, like, oh, okay, awesome. You do door to door sales, but like, what's next? You know, like, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know, probably keep doing door to door because, like, this makes pretty good money. And I only have to work from like four o'clock to seven o'clock when people are actually home because the majority of the time, like, because I didn't ever do summer programs, I was always year round. And so we would work from like four to seven p.m four or five days a week and that was it. But you can make good money doing it. So I was always like, I don't I don't know. I'll probably just keep doing this. It seems like it's working out pretty well so far. But yeah, it's amazing. And I would attribute, you know, some of your amazing networking skills and your ability to get major people on your show like Grant or like Ed Milet because you understood you hit a door, that first those first 15 doors you hit were fucking brutal. Don't tell me they weren't, right? The rejection, the nervousness, the pit in your stomach, the why are you coming to my house? But you got better and you didn't quit, right? So I think a confidence doing a job like that, you talk about a confidence builder, if you can push through the nervousness and the rejection and the no, and then you start to realize, hey, every 10 doors I hit, I get a sale, right? And if you do that for 15 weeks, then all of a sudden, every seven doors I hit, I get a sale every six doors I hit. Right. So I think people that haven't experienced that level of rejection, that level of failure, it's tough to have confidence because listen, dude, you've got to fucking build confidence. If anybody says, yo, I'm just confident. That's bullshit. Confidence is built through a series of rejection and wins that allow you to become confident. Right. Yeah, totally. I think that's such a huge point to bring up. And it's funny because I think that 
each of those experiences helped up-level confidence for me in a, in a couple of different areas, but mostly just from the ability for me now to look back on those experiences and draw from that and say, if this was something I was able to be successful in, then I know that I can figure this out. I just got to get in and, and meet the right people, learn the right knowledge, like get the right secrets or whatever. Like I can do that because I know that I've done it before. You know what I mean? So when I was doing, when I started in door to door, that to me was sports. It was like, well, I've, I've gotten really good. I played a lot of basketball growing up. We played like college basketball and everything like that. So like looking at that going, okay, I, that was a, a sport that typically people like someone like me probably wouldn't be super great at. I, I don't think I'm a super athletically built person. I just think that I worked really hard. And so like taking that and saying, looking back on that experience and going, okay, well, if I was able to be successful with this, where not a lot of people are, that I know that I can take that, whatever that is inside of me and put it into whatever I do, which is what I did with door to door. And then jumping into podcasting, it was the same thing. It was just like, okay, I know I did it in basketball. I know I did it in door to door. I know I've done it in a couple of these other areas as well now at this point. So all I have to do is follow that same blueprint and then do it for podcasting. Do you think that that's some, something similar that to help you build multiple nine figure companies, scale them and sell them? For me, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the, the formula. And I know we're going to drop this, but this book, Scale with Speed, right? If I was to give anybody advice, especially right now, you've got to move fucking fast. How you build your company, how you make decisions, how you go to market, how you service your customer, how you respond. You have to have an heightened sense of urgency to win in this marketplace, right? So speed is a core component of that. The other big component of this to build these, you know, nine figure plus businesses is you've got to have fucking people. Last night, you said you logged into a Facebook live, Evan and I, Matt Monero were on it. And one of the topics that I keynote a lot about and talk about is growth culture. You can't build a real company unless you have people. You just can't. Solopreneurs, one-off guys, lifestyle, like I'm in a lifestyle business right now for the first time. I don't need a lot of people to do that. But if you want to grow a, a major business, you have to have people. So that's the cost of entry. How you cultivate those people, motivate those people, and create urgency is the difference of being a great company or a shitty company or a good company. So culture is is fundamentally key in any successful company. Got it. So going back, where did you start picking up a lot of these principles and lessons? Like did were you were you a college guy or did you skip college and just start working for somebody? Where did all this start? I was fortunate enough that I went to college and played a little football at TCU and realized quickly that I wasn't going to go to the league. So I said, you know what? I better figure this, this whole uh, business thing and education thing out. So I focused there and it, college to me, I couldn't tell you a fucking calculus equation to save my life. So there's a lot of things in school, I think that really don't make a lot of sense. But what does make sense is, and especially if you're an athlete in college, is the dedication and discipline that you have to do. I have to go to class. I have to study for this test because I have to make a C or better on it, right? I have to read this. I have to go get a tutor. I have to give a presentation in front of people to get to pass this course or whatever, right? I've got to work in, with the team on how to build this project. So there's a lot of cool things that college taught me in the sense of translating back to football that were you know relatable. So I did go to college. For me, it was a great experience. Um, met a lot of great friends, you know, which we'll probably talk about, built some network. You know, some of the things that I would encourage, and I went to a great school, man. I mean, TCU is a high-end private school, 
But one thing that I screwed up on that I wish I would have paid more attention to was I didn't understand the power of networking at that time. And I didn't spend time building those relationships or, hey, man, my buddy's dad is the CEO of 7-Eleven. I didn't care. Now, older judge, man, I, I would have been so much further ahead if I would have built those networks because I had access to it. I didn't capitalize on it. Got it. Got it. So in college to play football, immediately realize, hey, this probably isn't going to be my career path. So I better get serious about learning some things here too. So you majored in business, some, some sort of business? Yeah, it was the first ever in the world. They called it e-business. So this was uh, late, late 90s in early 2000s. So it was called e-business. It was a core competency in computer science, finance, and marketing. And this is when, you know, the dot-com bombs were happening. And so it was, uh, so I learned all that craft and then I applied that to the first company I started. Okay. Gotcha. And how long after college was your first company? Like, did you, did you get directly into starting businesses or did you go work for somebody for a little bit? No, I've, I've never worked for anybody. I actually started my first company in college and almost didn't graduate because it was taking off. And what was that company? It was a web design and development company. Okay. And the, what was like the reason for starting that? What was the catalyst for that? So the catalyst was one, it was a skill set that I had, right? So in school, they taught me how to program websites. I could do that. And then I saw that there was a need for all these small businesses. And you got to realize, I mean, this was like 98, 99. Nobody had a fucking website. So I said, to my roommate at the time, and who was a, a dear friend of mine at the time, I said, and we were both sales related guys, the door to door. We said, yo, let's go make some money. <laughs> so we would go hit the streets and sell five or six websites in a weekend and to these small businesses at two or $3,000 a pop. And then we would work all weekend or stay up all night developing it. Then we got really good at sales, built a team out in India, then built a bigger team and then grew that company while we were in school. Awesome. And was that company able to be sold? No, man. That And that goes into my second book, which is talking about this Mastering Recurring Revenue. That business failed, dude. I went personally bankrupt. It was awful. What happened was web design and development is project-based. So we would continue to hire people. We would scale up. We bought office furniture space. You know, We had like 30, 40 people. And we thought we were just badass, right? And we were doing a lot of revenue. But the problem was every month you had to replace that revenue. Got to continually go out and grab new buyers. Every month. And then on top of that, these projects started to take longer and longer. So we couldn't capture that cash flow. And so it was a huge, immensely important lesson for me because I then understood the power of recurring revenue and how critical it was for a business to scale. So failing that business was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because any business I've ever started since then has to have a recurring revenue component. So you were early 20s, I'm assuming at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah early 20s. Yeah, 21, 22, somewhere on there. So riding really high, right? Making more money than you know a lot of other people your age, most people your age, 99.9% .9 of people your age, right? When did you realize that there was about to be a big kick to the teeth? Like when were you and your business just looking at the numbers and going, oh, like we are in trouble? Yeah, I think we, we took um, some personal lines of credit because we had no credit history. And we built out this multi-million dollar space. You know, we used half cash, half line of credit. We started to having to hire more and more full-time employees, which we thought were, was great. 
right? But then, you know, every month they're going to get paid, right? <laughs> Whether we've got money or not, or until it runs out. And so, and we bought a really tricked out condo downtown. And, you know, I think it was just, it was a oh shit moment when I was looking at the books and going, we've got to make X in 10 days and our pipeline is, that's not going to happen. You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. So what did you do? My business partner and I separated ways and it just didn't, didn't work out and the business failed. And that, that rolled into uh, my second business, which then I started with a, I actually took over a, a dying business with my ex-business partner. And we literally turned that company around, skyrocketed in revenue and then flipped it. This episode of the show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks and stacks of resumes, a confusing review process, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands and thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, it's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. That's ziprecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. ziprecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. See, this is what I love about entrepreneurs, man, because a lot of people want to be in business, right? They want to have a successful business. It's all just, but it's all just like this fairy tale land that doesn't exist. It's just these things that they've thought about, but they're not willing to actually go take action. But then like a few of them make it out of that lack of decision-making, right? And they get into it, they take some action and they start doing a business. And then they put a ton of time and energy and effort and they, they do all the research they think and uh, it ends up failing. So instead of taking those lessons and going in and implementing them in a new venture, it's just like, well, I tried that once and then they go back to their old nine to five and stuff. What do you think it was inside of you that was like so eager to jump back into building another business when you just like bankrupted the last one? Yeah, dude, I had no choice, man. Well, I said I had a, cho- I had a choice. So I was bankrupt, uh, mortgage, car payments, recently married and newborn baby. And my wife, you know, didn't work. So we had no choice. Like, I mean, it was time to go generate revenue. And I had a great partner, still do, still, still married to her. But we made a choice. I said, you know, I can either continue to pursue this dream and we can sacrifice, continue to sacrifice now in hopes that it pays off. Or based on the situation, I can go work, try to get a job. You can get a job. And, you know, we were committed as partners and we said, you know, I'm going to do what it takes. And dude, I'm not kidding you. And I'm not like hashtag hustle, grind, all this fucking bullshit you see on social with people. But I mean, I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning and not getting home until 10 or 11 every day for two to three years because this was survival mode. This was selling during the day, doing and delivering the work at night until we started building that 
that business to where it ended up being. Um, and that was just part of it, man. So like, you know, a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs and, but they don't want to put in the work and they don't want to sacrifice what it, what's needed. I sacrificed missing my, my kids first five or six years. That's part of the game, dude. I mean, you just got to be prepared for that because that's just, you know, it is what it is. A lot of people don't want to commit. You know, I talk about a concept, burning the ships. You're on an island, your boat's tied right there. And at any moment, you can get back in the boat and leave the island. If you turn around, put gasoline and fucking light the ship and it burns to the ground, you're committed. So if you want to be successful in any business, you have to take that level of commitment, whether it's monetary, whether, you know, whatever it is, how do you fully commit? Because when you're that committed, there isn't a choice. You're either going to win or lose. There's no, that's it. Right. I love the way that Ed Milet puts it. He says, um, there's freedom with true commitment. And when he, uh, when I was talking to him, he said that to me, I was like, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Like commitment is by definition, the lack of freedom. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you're truly committed to something, there is no, the freedom comes with the true commitment because it gives you the freedom to actually go kill that certain thing, whatever it is. Like you're, you're talking about a business for me, it was a podcast, like for whatever you're listening right now and like apply this to your life. What, what is that thing that you're looking at right now that you're afraid to fully commit to? Because whatever it is, if you make the decision right now to fully commit to doing that until it's successful, then what I mean by there's freedom with that is that the next time that there's an opportunity for you to quit that thing and move on and do something different or for you to go back and do the safe thing, Whenever this new opportunity comes up, wherever it is, however far like down the line it is, it doesn't matter. You're going to say no to that because you are fully committed. So they're like what Judge is saying, like there is no other option. The only option is forward. There's no other option because you're fully, fully committed to that. So yeah, I totally, totally love that, man. What was that second business, by the way? I don't think we mentioned that. Second business was a digital marketing agency, right? So the difference there is... I started building out longer contracts. I had media, I had recurring, I had predictability and, you know, scaled that company quickly in five years and then flipped it and sold it into another company, then grew that company in, in uh, 18 months and then flipped it and sold that company. Okay. And what was the third one? The third one was still within digital marketing. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So in that vertical, is, is that safe to say that that's been the majority of your income so far has been through digital marketing and... Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I've been doing digital before digital was like as big as it is, right? I mean, I was... Before everybody was a digital marketer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, I was having to convince people to do digital back then, right? But it was great, right? Because you were more pioneers, so you could get big accounts and, you know, they weren't in-house. And so, you know, great if you had the right team and you knew what you were doing, um, there was a lot of money to be made. Yeah, totally. So looking back at all of the different things that you've been able to accomplish so far, what do you think is going to be the next step for you? You're obviously doing more in terms of your personal brand and things like that at the moment. Is that like the main focus or are you focused on one or two other companies or what's what's the main thing for you right now? Yeah, it's great, man. I, I think you know right now is is a lot of the personal brand and I'm also making up for a lot of the years that I missed. So I'm spending a lot more time at home with my family, coaching five football, things like that. But you know, I'm writing books. I'm on my third book. I'm coaching. I mean, I never stop. You know, it's just part of who I am. 
And I've got several companies percolating, you know, two to three in the back of my mind that I'm, you know, talking with partners right now about potentially launching, but more to come on that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, then maybe me and you can have a conversation at some point about doing something together. Yeah, dude, that'd be awesome. But yeah, so working on the personal brand now, can you talk to me about why that's important to you? This is a conversation that I have with a lot of people, obviously, because it, with my podcast and everything, like that is all part of my personal brand. And I'm very bullish on the long-term benefits of building a personal brand. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I think personal brand is, is critical and important. I mean, a lot of the current CEO landscape, right? And, I, and I've operated it, worked for major companies. My previous firms, you know, we would work with Fortune 500 companies. So I've been in the boardrooms. I know the big CEOs. They're missing this joke, right? They're not in this game. If you're the CEO of 7-Eleven, you need to have a personal brand, right? I mean, the pioneers in personal brands are the former CEO of Southwest Airlines or, you know, Nike. I mean, these iconic brands had iconic CEOs that had pseudo personal brands. Does that make sense? Right, right. Well, like Steve Jobs with Apple or Richard Branson with Virgin. Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, it goes on and on. And then you even look at like athletes, Michael, Michael Jordan, all these people, if you look at that success, they were doing personal brands under a different monarch. It was Nike or whether it was the Bulls, whether it was Apple, whatever. And now everybody's doing it, but it's just, it should shine a light more onto these new CEOs and executives, even if it's not Judge Graham. But if I'm going to go run another company or start another company, that personal brand is as important or more important than ever because people, you're more accessible. They're going to want to look at you socially. Um, they're going to want to see what's going on. Yeah. And I think, I think a huge part of that is that they're like your, your personal brand. And let's say you're running a company and not just a personal brand. If you're running a company and a personal brand, they're synergistic, right? They're like, each one is going to rise in accordance to how the other one is also rising. So perfect example is Patrick by David. Do you know Patrick? Yeah. yeah. I don't know him. I know of him. He's in Dallas. I mean, he, he lives by me. So we, we should connect, but we haven't. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 the man. I had him on the show when I first started, and when I first started the show, he was at I want to say like three hundred and fifty thousand YouTube subscribers at that point, and I think four thousand four thousand people in his agency. He runs an insurance agency, and um, I saw something recently. I, I had him back on the show like six seven months ago. I actually flew out to Dallas and did one in person, and uh, at that point he was almost at a million subscribers and he had like seven or 8,000 people in his agency. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I saw something recently. He's got over a million subscribers on YouTube now. And he has over 10,000 agents now in his agency. And I was looking at that and talking with him and just, we, we were basically having that conversation of like, there's a direct correlation between the growth of his YouTube channel as a like media and entrepreneurial personality and the growth of his agency in terms of attracting quality people to sell insurance policies for his company, like direct correlation. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, Gary, if you're Grant Cardone, I mean, Grant Cardone says that the attention equals dollars. So those three guys there, I mean, have, have proven that model. So to anybody that doesn't believe creating content, creating video, building a personal brand, they're fucking asleep. 
<laughs> and, and at some point, it's not going to work out well. Exactly. Well, that, that's the whole thing is like, to me, it's very similar to what we we're talking about at the beginning, just on a larger scale, meaning that like your businesses weren't working because you weren't looking at the the recurring revenue, right? You always had to go out and get more business. You always had to go out and sell a new customer. I look at it the same way is if you don't have a personal brand, you're always going to have to go out and start from scratch on a new business. Whereas if you have a personal brand, like Patrick can exit PHP agency, his company right now, and go start a new company and have it be basically instantaneously successful. Maybe not like unicorn successful, but instantaneously successful because he's bringing along an entire audience of people who already know, like, and trust him and care about what he's doing. So like it, to me, it's, it's more about the importance of the long-term recession, like truly recession proof. Well, I would say instead of recession, proof, I'm saying it's job proof, right? I mean, I think what you're yeah, saying, right, right. it doesn't matter. Like if you are making a million bucks a year as an executive somewhere at a big company and you get fired, well, if you have a personal brand, true tribal like brand and followers and people, it's easier to go get that next job or it's easy to spin up something else to monetizing versus the guy or gal that doesn't have it. Yeah, exactly. I got a buddy. Um, I don't know if you know who Pat Flynn is, um, but he's a, a big time podcaster, blogger. Um, he's been doing it since like 2011, 2012 for quite a while now. He's multiple, multiple seven figures. He's got thousands and thousands of people that follow his stuff, care about what he does. And plus he's just all around cool dude, really, really nice down to earth guy. And uh, he launched a new company recently. He invented this like little tripod thing for vloggers, which you can go check out. It's called the Switch Pod. They're currently in production, but he put it out on Kickstarter. Their goal was $100,000 in 60 days. They wanted 100 grand to take the product to production because it was costing too much to make it custom every time. So they put it up on Kickstarter. Within 12 hours, they were fully funded at 100 grand. And within 60 days, their launch period, their time, they got up to almost $450,000. And I was just like, what, I, what I'm telling people when I'm talking to them about like, hey, you should start a podcast, you should start creating content, you should build a personal brand. It's just like, look at that business model. Like, is the product good? Yes. Like the product is good. Does it solve a problem? Yes, it solves a problem. But if Joe Schmo invents the switch pod and puts it up on Kickstarter, it's crickets. It's crickets. Like you're not going to reach the goal because nobody knows who you are or cares about what you're doing. But with, when Pat Flynn does it, he has an entire audience of people that are already know, like him and trust him and are willing to invest in whatever venture he's a part of. And so that's why it became super successful instantaneously. And that's the whole, the whole point behind building the personal brand. So uh, in, in your opinion, what, like, what are some of the top ways to do that? I think you've got to, you've got to, and I've been doing this a year and a half, right? And everything is a, is, is a learning experience and it's a struggle is you've got to be authentic to who you are. So right now it's, if you look on Facebook and Instagram, it's inundated with everybody's a fucking guru. Everybody's selling a course. Everybody's doing all these different things. Everybody's trying to mimic brand or Ed or my or Andy Frisella or whoever that have kind of become the iconic in this new personal brand space. And I would caution, like, you got to be you, whatever you is and whatever you are good at and whatever you're passionate about, you believe in, you've got to do that. The other thing is you've got to choose a side. Listen, if you're not provocative and you don't lean one way or the other, good luck on fucking creating a brand. It's just not, I mean, nobody wants to listen to that shit. You know, it is what it is. Like I'm a, I'm a Texas guy. You're going to find me in my badass truck wearing a cowboy hat. And I got a bunch of guns. You don't like it? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that that's who I am, right? But that that's the whole thing, though, is that you're gonna attract the people. That group. 
who yeah. exactly right. And then you're going, that's all marketing is, is attracting people who resonate with your message or your brand and repelling people who don't resonate with your message or your brand. Right. So like you are doing that on a big scale with your personal brand. And that's the only way to do it. Like the only way to build actual real actual people who really care about what you're doing. If you're just worried about having everybody all the time liking you, then nobody's going to love you. Like nobody's going to pay it. Nobody's going to care. They're just going to be like, Oh yeah, that guy's off doing his thing. Yeah. I like his stuff. And everybody's going to be like, Oh yeah, I like his stuff. Cause you don't say anything that ruffles some feathers every once in a while or is a polarizing message. Like look at people that are at the top of their game. They're super polarizing. Yeah. Look at Trump. Yeah. Right. Like the ultimate President example, Trump ultimate example, the most polarizing person out there. Yeah. In all of the world. Like, yeah. Literally. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. He chooses a side, whether you like him or not, that dude is polarizing and he is going to have his audience and they're going to be committed no matter what. Grant is polarizing. Gary's polarizing. Andy's all those guys that are making it are polarizing. And to be polarizing, you don't have to be in your face. Oprah is polarizing, but you know, she's not aggressive or polarizing doesn't have to be Grant Cardone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but you have to be authentic and you have to choose a side. Yeah, that's the biggest thing right there is don't be polarizing for the sake of being polarizing and actually spit out a message that's not something that you believe, you know, just for the sake of being polarizing because then you're not being authentic to who you are. And I think that's not really going to resonate with anybody or at least not for a long term. Yeah, the other thing is don't try not to copy shit. I mean, no idea is a new idea. But like, dude, I believe in growth culture. I mean, that's, that is my thing, right? I know it. I've done it. I've experienced it. I've lived it. You know, we talked about getting up in a keynote. I don't need a fucking presentation. I can talk to you all day about culture. I can give you real stories. I can show you why I believe in it because I do, because I've lived it. I know my fucking shit. So if you want to be a personal brand, stay in your fucking lane. What do you love? What are you great at? What do you really believe? can make change because if you try to move to something because you think that there's sentiment there and people are going to want it or they're going to like it, but you don't fucking know it, you don't believe in it and you haven't done it. Good luck. Right. Yeah, exactly. Dude. So, so much stuff that, that we're uh, clearly on the same page on. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That's, that was awesome little riff there. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit since we're running out of time. This is the Build Network podcast. We got to talk about networking, got to talk about relationships, which I know that you're all about. So the way that I get this conversation started in the right direction is with this question, which is the one that I ask every guest that's ever come on the show, which is, do you believe that who you know, or what you know, is more important? And why? Yeah, I, you know, if you had a gun to my head, and I had to pick one, I mean, I think they're both important, right? But I would pick who you know, There's no question. If you took two kids and they're both equally as smart, but one of the parents knows some, they play golf with the guy on the board of fucking Harvard, the probability of that kid getting into Harvard over the other kid is pretty high. Through the roof. Yeah. Right. So to me, it's, you know, it's who you, now you have to fucking show up, right? I mean, you have to know your game or your craft or whatever, but if you don't get that opportunity, right, it's back to your example of the, the Kickstarter thing. That both products could be amazing, but if you don't have network, it doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. Exactly. If you, that's why I always tell people is like, as long as you're competent, 
if you're competent and hardworking and you can get in and figure stuff out, then who you know is always going to outweigh the what you know. To me, I look at it like um, skipping a line. So like if you and your buddies are at, you know, freaking Six Flags and you're really hungry, but they just ate. And so they're going to go get in line. You're going to go grab a burger at the restaurant and then you eat your burger. It takes a little bit longer than you think it's going to take. You come back over to the line. You realize that they're already up at the front of the line. What do you do? You don't just stand in the back of the line, right? They look back and they're like, hey, judge, we're up here. Come up here with us. But the cool thing is that you can't just teleport to the front of the line, right? You don't just like magically poof there. You still have to walk through the zigzag maze of guardrails and stuff to get up to the front of the line. So, But the difference is, is you're walking past all the other people who are standing there because they don't have access to the people up at the front. So they don't have the same knowledge. They don't have the same access. They don't have the same information, the same connections. So they're, they can ultimately get there, right? So I'm not saying that you can't be successful if you don't know people. I'm saying it's just going to take you a lot longer period of time. Whereas this way, you can skip to the front of the line, walk past all the people who are waiting for their turn and get plugged into the people who have already walked those steps before you. Totally. 100%. Tell me about a time in your life where maybe a connection that you had uh, to somebody led to some big moment of success for you, whether it was a partnership directly or um, you know, a book or whatever. The most game-changing thing for me came through network. So the second company, which we grew and sold, my business partner and I had got it to a certain point and we knew we had our shit together, right? We could deliver for any scale client. We had an amazing team. We had hit a a mark that we were ready to tip either forward to massive revenue or, or, or backwards. And we knew it was all reliant on the next big account, right? Because the next big account for us is, guess what? If you get a big fucking account and you deliver, those big accounts have a network of other big accounts. And that's what happens, right? So at the time, we found um, an individual, a new business guy, Amazing. Jim Batum, I'll give him some love on this. He had a network and we didn't even have enough money to pay him because he was a high, high paid guy. And we just went all in. We went all in on this guy because we knew he had solid network and Jim believed and knew that we had amazing product and service and it was a great match. And so with based on that relationship and getting us into some of these big accounts, us landing that, right? We had to still show up. We had to deliver. We had to win them. But when we won them, the network expanded and blew up. So I encourage anybody, if their business is plateaued, you know, especially if you're a service-based business, how do you go find individuals that can level you up because of the relationships and the networks they have and that they trust you enough as a, a partner in your product and your service that they would put that network on the line for you um, that will be the difference between small growth and exponential growth. So for somebody out there listening, that's going, that's totally resonating with this conversation, going judge, I totally understand where you're coming from. That sounds amazing. I just don't know how, like, I'm not comp, I don't know how to do those things. Like, what would you say to that person? What are some practical ways that they can maybe implement some practical things they can implement into their life, into their business right now that will enable them to get into some of those conversations? Listen, if somebody says that's a lazy ass answer, right? Like I'm just going to be straight up. <laughs> like you know, with, with the fucking internet and LinkedIn, you can get access to almost anybody. So reach out, be thoughtful, right? I mean, don't just hit them up and like, they don't know you who you are. And it's like, Hey, yo, I want you to help me do this. Like 
learn about those individuals, send them something, make noise, create a statement to start building authentic relationships, people will resonate, right? I mean, you're, you know, part of your, your thing is you're reaching out to these major people and you're getting a hold of them, right? But I'm assuming you're doing it correctly. You're building authentic relationships. That's the whole key right there. That to me was what, what you just said. Like, that's the whole thing is building authentic relationships because an authentic relationship isn't built on a premise of this person's ultimately going to be doing something for me. It's built on the premise of how do I help this individual? Like, how can I add value to this person? And, you know, and I can tell you right now, firsthand, to be super successful people, they like to give. They want to help. They love sharing, hey, this is where I failed and this is, you know, I could help you there. Now they're super busy. You know, the other thing is if you get their time, shut up and listen, process that, be appreciative of that time. So whether it's free, whether you're paying for it, whether it's lunch, whether it's breakfast, make sure you capitalize on that time and you're cognizant that they're giving it to you and be appreciative of it. Yeah, totally. It's so funny that you say that. I've had the opportunity now to be around of a lot of, you know, really high caliber individuals and it never ceases to amaze me when I'll be around somebody who's of importance, who's built some really awesome things. Somebody comes up and starts talking to them and they talk the whole time. <laughs> it's like they talk for, they have three minutes of this person's time and they talk the entire time. And then at the end, ask for a picture and then bounce. And it's just like, wow, that's textbook. How not to do this. <laughs> You did absolutely nothing. You made zero impact or impression. You think that picture is going to have them re like remember you, recognize you next time? It's not. You just are another, you're, you're another flash in the pan and you made sure that you are with how you botched that conversation and took the lead the whole time when you had this person's ear for a second. But anyway, man, look, like I'm sure we, we can talk about this for a really long time and I'm looking forward to coming out to Dallas and... Um, yeah, dude, come to the event. Plug the event. Yeah. So my buddy, my buddy Evan is hosting an event called obsessed, uh, conference. Yes. Obsessedconference.com. So Evan is the one that connected us. If you're listening to this right now, you can go listen to Evan's episode on the show it aired a few weeks back. That's Evan Stewart and Evan connected judge and I for this interview, but judge is going to be speaking at Evan's event in July out in Dallas. So if you're in the Dallas area, or even if you're not, it'd probably be a good idea to get out to that conference. Um, I know Evan's going to be speaking. Judge is going to be speaking. Um, my buddy, Matt Monero, who you can also hear on the show is going to be speaking. Coach Bird, Lisa Cope. Uh, Michael Bird. Yep. Yep. Got a, got a solid lineup of great speakers. And uh, I know everything Evan does is first class. So I trust him to put on a really good conference. So if you're listening to this right now, make sure to go check that out over at obsessedconference.com. But yeah, man, I'm looking forward. I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to make it out there for that. I told Evan. Yeah, dude, make it. It'd be awesome. And uh, maybe we can sit down and smoke a cigar. I was itchy to smoke a cigar yesterday when you guys were on that Facebook Live smoking cigars. Yeah. Oh, man. I totally. so, but yeah, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll be able to chat more then. So let's go ahead now and move on to the last segment that I have here, which is the random round. Just a few really quick random questions, some quick random answers. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Professional sports, football. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Jesus, because who else? It'd be amazing. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Audiobooks, podcasts. What would be like one or two recommendations on audiobooks and podcasting? Two books that changed my life that help influence everything I've done. Mastering the Rockefeller Habits in a book called Rework. Got it. Awesome. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine. You got, you know who Sean Whalen is? Yes. So I follow a lot of the stuff he does. He does uh, four things about the core four. 
So purpose, passion, productivity, and then uh, it escapes me. There's another P, right? But the part of the morning routine is getting up. I pray, I meditate. Um, I want to get the blood flowing. I want to work out. I want to make sure that, you know, the night before, like I'm, I'm big, I'm old school, man. I'm a journal still. So, you know, I like to write down things I need to accomplish for the next day. Um, and, and I put that on there and then I start attacking them and, and prioritizing my day. I'm super mindful of my time, who I spend it with, how I spend it. And is it helping anything within my cause of life, whether that's people, passion or purpose? And if it doesn't, then I don't do it. What is your go-to pump up song? Oh man, I'm a huge rap guy. So it would probably be uh, old school. So I like Eminem, probably something from Eminem, you know, Notorious, Tupac, Jay-Z. Sure, all, all good fallbacks right there. Yeah, New, New York State of Mind is always a good one, right? Yeah, there you go. What is something that you are just not very good at? Oh, dude, I am not coordinated. <laughs> not coordinated at all. Awesome. So let's uh, figure out one place here, man, where people can connect with you the best. So the one place online that you spend the most time, where should people go check you out? Yeah, just all my social handles are at Judge Graham. Facebook's at Judge Graham Business. So any of those would be perfect. Perfect. So head over to uh, Judge's Instagram account, Facebook, say what's up, get to know him better. Also go check out his book, Scale with Speed, which you can find uh, on Amazon and uh, select airports. on the airports too. Yeah, if you're yeah. traveling, check out a Hudson News and um, pick it up. Hey dude, if you buy one, do a post and tag me in it. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do. Definitely. If anybody that's listening to this right now, get a copy of scale with speed and uh, post about it, tag judge in that you can come over there and say what's up. And if you're listening to this right now, make sure to screenshot this particular episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me and judge will head over and say what's up to you over there. So judge, thank you so much for coming to the show today, brother. Had a fantastic time chatting with you. Awesome, brother. Enjoyed it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapel.com hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.